Galatians 3, 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In that same way, we also were children and were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the word of God. Oh, thanks again for having me. It was actually just nice as I st- stood up there and there was quietness. And uh, in, a, in a hurried, hurried, harried world and life at the moment, it's nice to have quietness, isn't it? It's not silent, but it's quiet. There's a big difference. So it's nice to actually hear the kids in the quietness here still having fun or talking. How about we close our eyes and just uh, take a moment to be in that quietness, to still our hearts, anticipate God's word or God himself speaking to us. Father, that we can hear from you, some of us can be together. Help us to be attentive to your voice this morning. We, you have us here to hear you, for your words to form and shape us. not just for heaven but but for today Amen Apparently we scroll the height of the Eiffel Tower uh, when we're scrolling Facebook each day that was a bit confronting to hear that from someone the other day and so I was doing that a little while ago and just, you know, not doing what I should and doing something that wasn't healthy and mindless. Um, but I was, my attention was taken by one post from a friend and it was a picture of my friends Natalie and John and their two children. And this is what the words said under that photo. Almost three years ago, we welcomed two little people into our family. They were ours from that very moment. But as of today, 1,089 days later, we are now officially and legally able to call them our children. 
No words can describe how thankful we are for the blessing of a son and a daughter. They are precious gifts from above, forever loved, forever treasured, forever ours. Happy Adoption Day, Callum and Alyssa. As I said, that took my attention. I immediately sent a message to my friend Natalie uh, asking her if she was happy to talk about that a bit more. A and she did, and she sent me quite a long message. But part of the message included this. Uh, to be loved and accepted no matter what uh, is what it was for these our children. She said last week uh, we got the kids new birth certificates with their new names on them. Uh, Callum decided to stick his above his bed with a post-it note on it that says, Callum's birth certificate, very special to me. To be given a new name and identity means so much to him. And obviously, hopefully that moved you. If you're a human in this room this morning or if you're watching online, <laughs> it, hopefully it did. I've read that numerous times and every time it moves me. Because there's something profound, isn't there, when a family takes a child into their home a child that's not theirs, to be theirs. And why is that? Oh, it's because uh, they're giving this child, this person, uh, privileges and rights they've never had before. A rescue and, and you might say ransom from whatever they have been in before. Permanent status and identity that they haven't had before. Security and hope that they probably haven't had before. So if it's profound when another human takes another little human into their life and makes them their own as a child, how much more so when God takes us into his family, giving us rights and privileges rescuing him, ransoming us, giving us status and identity, purpose and hope and security. And that's what we have as we understand this, this truth of adoption that we started talking about this morning. That's what we have that Jesus makes possible in what he did for us. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, in that chapter, Adoption, which I'd encourage you to go and get the book and at least read that chapter. If you do nothing else in terms of your reading for the rest of the year, let me encourage you to do that. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means they don't understand Christianity very well at all. You hear what he's saying? This is the, the central truth 
that should define who you are. And how much you understand that, sh- understand that shows how much you understand Christianity and you would have to say God himself. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. You love, I love that kind of redundant, affirming last statement. He doesn't have to say it, does he? He says, we are children of God, that's enough. But he knows it takes us a while to get that into our heads and certainly our hearts. So he says, that is what we are. We are children of God. I'm a child of God. Can we say that together out loud? I'm a child of God. And hopefully that's true for you this morning. And we want to explore that by looking at these words from Paul in Galatians. Uh, this letter is written to this group of Christians. Become a Christians, Christians and started following Jesus a few years ago. Somehow someone's come into this, this community of faith in Jesus and started to take them away from this central understanding that it's what Jesus has done for us, not what you do that makes you a child of God. And you'd have, you'd have to say in, in all the gamut of emotions Paul shows in his letters, the one he shows here, you might have to say, is, is like anger. He says, you foolish Galatians. They're strong words, aren't they? And why would he say something so strongly and express such strong emotions? Because somehow these people have been taken away from what is fundamental to who they are and who we should be and how that's made possible. And at the height of his argument, trying to appeal to these people, he talks about adoption. Let's go back and read some of his words. Galatians 3 verse 26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Your translation might say, are sons of God through faith. So firstly, you are children of God or sons of God. The translation's tried to, tried to make it a bit ex- more inclusive, hasn't it? It was actually son of God and we're losing something when it says children of God because calling people sons of God was significant. It was more of a, a description, a label, or a, a, you might say a title. that they, It's been placed over them, giving them status. And if you're a female here and that feels awkward to be called a son of God, just think of our smiles as in the Christian life. One of the analogies we're to think of ourselves as is the bride of Christ. So it kind of evens out, I suspect. But we're sons of God, and why is that so significant? Because to be a son in a household is to have rights and privileges. All the rights and privileges. Now, for today, but also in anticipation of an inheritance, something to enjoy in the future. It's giving you a status that's true for you now, and a future that is also true for you, that gives you hope. And Paul's saying, whoever you are, male or female, whatever your background, religious or otherwise, 
wherever you've come from. You can be a son of God and have that full status. Paul's being profoundly subversive as he says this. Because people weren't seen as equal and treated equal and given equal status. But he's saying here, that's not true in God's family. In Jesus, we can be all sons of God. And so no, no wonder he says in verse 28, we are all, all one in Christ Jesus. No race, no class, no gender is a barrier to being a child or a son of God. Those things aren't obliterated, but they're not barriers anymore to being a child of God and to being in God's family together as children of God. It was lovely to celebrate a Father's Day uh, last week for us. We ended up getting together with uh, myself and my two sisters and their husbands and my dad. And we haven't done that for quite a while. And it was significant because it was the first one we'd celebrated since my mum died. And so I think uh, we were very keen to be with my dad and to, to affirm his fatherhood to us. And my older sister, who I've talked about before, he'll be in that special place in heaven we're only invited in to, to visit. Um, that doesn't exist, by the way. It's just how I think about how amazing she is. She initiated us sharing about um, each of the fathers in the room, which, of course, I experienced, which was lovely, but we got to share about my dad. You'll work out very quickly that I'm a crying preacher. And so what, was my my, what did I say in my turn as I shared about my dad? I said that his fathering or being a father, did, not only did I experience and my two sisters, but in God's amazing gift to my dad, uh, my dad extended that fathering and fatherhood to people who weren't his own children. And I've talked to you before, as I've talked about this, about one man whose name's Andrew, who's a living example of that. Let's just say my dad and Andrew were from different sides of the tracks, as they used to say. You couldn't get two men who were different in their upbringing, how they thought about life, how they looked. Andrew was a kind of rough and tumble kind of guy. He'd spent some time in, in jail. Uh, he had tats before. It was actually trendy to have tats. And he'd get them before because he was friends with the guys at the King's Cross Tattoo Parlour. Um, he'd go there and he'd get free tats and he had the most amazing tattoos. They, they were truly art. My dad didn't think so, but they, they were. And uh, he, he, he was a very tough guy. I mean, he was functionally homeless. Uh, he'd had trouble with addiction in the past, but he always seems to find himself in church with us or other people and for a period of my life in my teenage years I don't know how long it was for but he'd, he'd come and live with us on and off for weeks at a time or maybe a month at a time and he was a really 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 tough guy I remember one day and my dad recounted this story with us the other day he was putting a motor in a car 
Now that's just beyond my comprehension because I'm useless with that stuff, but that's what he was doing. And I was watching him. I wouldn't say I was helping him. I was watching him. And he had a hoist uh, with the motor on it and somehow the motor slipped and he had his hand in the way and the motor fell on his hand. I mean, I think I swore inside. He didn't seem to flinch. Sort of just hoisted it up again, shook his hand off and kept going. We caught him one day in the bathroom cleaning his teeth with, you know, the floor cleaner, um, Ajax. Didn't taste very good, but apparently it worked. He was totally convinced and it pr probably did. One night we were having dinner and my mum served up some dessert and he's sort of you know, eating away and he looks up halfway through and says, this, this food's nearly as good as the food I had in jail. Now, I think he thought that was a compliment, but I'm not sure my mum did, so <laughs> I just sort of put my head down and kept eating. I remember my dad, uh, for one period of, of the time he lived with us, he, Andrew had a job that he had to get up at like five o'clock in the morning, get to the Manly Ferry, catch the ferry across to somewhere, I don't know where it was, for his work. My dad got up every morning in that period that I remember, woke Andrew up, uh, Andrew didn't always respond in a thankful way to that, let's just say that, and then he'd drive him to the ferry at five o'clock every morning. It's only dawned upon me in the last few years that Andrew experienced from my dad what I experienced as a son of my dad. His fatherhood extended beyond me to others and to Andrew. He was welcomed to the table, literally. He was welcomed to the family and experienced all that I experienced. And that's true of us when we come to God in Jesus. God the Father treats us and loves us exactly as he does his own son, Jesus. That is amazing. So I don't know what your, your earthly experience of fatherhood has been. For some of you, it might have just, it actually might be triggering talking about it. You might be having a visceral response because it's so negative as you think about it, even traumatic. And for that reason, some might say, let's do away with this understanding of God as Father. Or in actual fact, no, no, let's embrace it because we can have a lived experience and know what it is to be loved by God the Father. Let, let his love for us and how he's done that and, and does that shape our understanding of fatherhood. That our understanding of fatherhood that may not be so positive, that's understanding it may be for some of you, can be warm and rich, affirming and secure. In Jesus we are children of God are you a child of God in Jesus? There's something to think about as we keep going. Paul uses the analogy of us being clothed with Christ. I love that analogy. Your clothing can define you, can't it? People can tell who you are. I'm a cyclist. I missed the ride with my mates this morning and my mate Alberto was saying, oh, don't worry, just ride with us. Come home early and turn up to the church in your lycra. Sorry for that image. I said, no, no, I won't do that. 
I was at a cafe um, in the northwest through the week, and it was in a business area, and uh, all these buildings and kind of business-looking people are dressed as business people do. I hope you're picturing that, and I won't try and describe it. And then in this area, there's this really kind of cool, uh, are we still using the word hip, cafe. As I walked into this cafe, it's like I worked, walked into a, like another part of the world by the way people were dressed. It was kind of like I went from one kind of demographic to another, and I could tell that by the clothing. just like jumped out at me. Also the age of the people. They often go together, don't they? They were clothed in a certain way. Um, not in the way a 50-year-old be, but you know, the, I, I won't say it because it might come across as, I don't know, not nice. Um, but it is cool. Instantly I could see who these people were by their clothing. So we're clothed with Christ. People may not always see that on the outside in the way that we live, but it's true for us on the inside. We've been clothed with Christ. We have him. We're in him and we're children of God. And of course that means, secondly, we're no longer slaves but redeemed sons. No longer slaves but redeemed sons. Let's go and have a look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Just might need to engage your mind as you uh, hear these verses. It takes a little bit of thinking about what Paul's saying. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So Paul's using this idea of a slave in the household, which they would have been familiar with as they read the letter. And a slave in a household doesn't have any access or rights uh, to the inheritance or the, of, of the family. As a person who's underage in a fa- family, a child, doesn't have immediate access to those things and the inheritance either until the right time comes, and then they do. So while we're underage, while we're still children, it's as though we're equal to slaves. And Paul's saying, that's the status we had before we met Jesus and God did something for us and in us. We're equivalent to slaves. And he says there, and it's a bit of a broad, maybe ambiguous way of expressing it, but he says we were in slaves to the elemental forces of this world. I mean, take it from many of the people who are hearing that who would have probably come from a Jewish background. It might have been the, the, the laws and the code of their, of their Judaism that he's referring to. But for us, it's, it's probably more broader. You know, the, the world views that we think are giving us freedom but actually we're enslaved to. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But you see here, that's, that's what we were, we're slaves. But what made the difference from us being slaves to being children or sons, where he goes on, doesn't he? Verse 4, crucial word. But when? But 
when the time, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. What made the difference? What made the difference? Not something we did, but something that was, was done. God, that's the first word, God sent. All the actions caught up with him, isn't it? And it was the right time God sent his son. Who was his son? Paul outlines, if you like, Jesus, the CV of Jesus. What qualified him to do what he did so it worked for us and the work that he achieved was redeeming us. Redeeming is the idea of someone enslaved, set free by being redeemed. Jesus did that in his death. He paid the price so we were slaves and we could be redeemed from that, set free from that. And that's good, isn't it? Being set free is good, but it's not enough. I've talked about the fact that I've got three daughters, which means at a certain age and stage, that's what sets the kind of movies you watch. Let's just put it that way. As a dad of three daughters and a female dog now as well. So the kind of movies we watch, I saw, I think, uh, Chris come in and he's, the bags over his shoulders reflected that he's got a daughter. It was a bag which had Frozen on it. Thankfully, I was a bit earlier than that, so I didn't have to have that on her rotation. But one of the movies we did have was the movie Annie, which you may know of that movie. It's a musical. Um, the song might come to mind. It's a hard knocks life. And Annie grew up in this orphanage. And the, the lady who oversaw the orphanage would just make them constantly s s uh, clean to get these kids, rat bag kids, as she would think about them, kind of out of her way. And then this billionaire comes along, Mr. Warbucks, and essentially he adopts her. I think I'm right in saying there's a scene in the movie, I mean, I should know this back to front, but, you know, where she goes into his mansion, out of the orphanage, into the mansion. I think it's the, the, um, the maid or whatever says, says to her, you know, where do you want to start? It's as though she misunderstands the question and it's as though she thinks, oh, where do, you, where do you want to start cleaning? But she doesn't mean that as well. Where do you want to start enjoying what you've now got? Her mindset, her mind, she's still caught in thinking of herself as an orphan and how true that can be for us. If we become children of God, we get caught in our thinking, thinking we're still slaves and that plays itself out in our lives rather than remembering we're children and the freedom we have. And so that plays itself out in our lives. I'm, I tend to fixate on Christian writers and just read stuff from them or listen stuff from them for a, you know, a whole period of time and I might be someone who gets bored and then goes on to someone else. And so that gets inflicted on anyone who's listening to any sermon. So the person I've been reading a lot of become a new friend is a guy called Eugene Peterson, who's most well known for his translation of the Bible, The Message. So let me inflict some of Eugene on you. This is what he says. 
You can think religion is a matter of knowing things and doing things. You can think religion is a matter of knowing things and doing things. He says it is not. It is a matter of letting God do something for you. Letting him love you. Letting him save you. Letting him bless you. Letting him command you. Your part is to look and believe, to pray and obey. That's in line with what Paul's saying, isn't it? God saw us in our state of slavery that we got ourselves into because of sin. And he's, he did something about that. He sent his son. He's done something about that. Do you think that means he doesn't do anything more? Because we can tend to think as Christians that it's, yes, my past is dealt with. I've got a future. And that's, that's where we live between those two things, which is right. But those two things actually shape what's in between. Jesus says, as on earth. Because that's where we're living in the here and now. So what is God the Father's action posture towards us? And do we allow ourselves to receive that and think about ourselves the way he does redeemed he loves he blesses he keeps saving us often from ourselves and our sin and of course that allows him to command us because he knows what's best for us we're to look and believe. Look and believe we're loved. Do you believe that? Loved by God. Blessed by God. Saved by God. Commanded by God. So that you pray and obey. We're no longer slaves. We're God's children. One of the other friends I've been listening to and reading a lot is a guy called Zach Eswine. And the other day, uh, I got him to send, something, send me something that he said in a sermon where he was trying to capture the, the narrative of the world we live in that we're meant to live by. And he, didn't want to tr he was trying not to be presumptuous about that, so he invited people to correct him if, he did, if they didn't think he had it right. So I invite you to, to correct this if you don't think this is right. But let me just read what he wrote. in trying to capture the narrative of the world that we're meant to live by. And it says this, trust in yourself. I think I'd tick that one. Trust in yourself. You have all the resources you need within you. Lean solely on your own understanding because no one else can understand what you need. In all your ways, acknowledge yourself. You have the power to make your path straight. Be wise in your own eyes. Fear whatever gods or goddesses or none at all that you prefer. And do whatever you want. Do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone else 
who agrees with you. And if you do this, it will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. I wonder if that resonates with you. Is that the air that we breathe? Is that the narrative that's not just out there but sometimes in here? And if it is, (laughs) like me, you'll know in all your brokenness and struggle and trying to practice that apparent truth and narrative that when you do turn to yourself, trust yourself, look for the resources in your, inside of yourself, you find pretty quickly there's not enough there. What we have in the truths here is we have resources outside of ourselves. The best thing we can do is trust someone else not anyone else but Jesus as we are his children and in trusting him and knowing who he is to us someone who's loving, blessing saving, commanding that'll be the thing that heals us refreshes us to the core of our soul You might have a different narrative. I wonder what it is and whether you can articulate it. Because you can't counter something unless you can actually name it and then replace it with a true and proper understanding of, of who we are in Jesus. I mean, there's no mistaking it It's all about Jesus. Let's go back to 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. See if you can pick up what's important here by what's repeated. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God doesn't give us some sort of world view, strict set of rules to live by in life so that we thrive. No, he gives us a person in Jesus. He gives us himself in Jesus to live by and follow and to rely upon. Let me give you some more of uh, Eugene. In my fumblings, if I can find the right part. It says this. The gospel doesn't impose a way of life on us from without and tell us that's what we have to live up to. It creates a new life within and then encourages and directs us to live, living it out. For a few moments, we take our eyes off our unsolvable problems and release from being obsessed with the dead-endness of our lives. We discover a new way of looking at ourselves, a new way of feeling about ourselves. We see how God looks at us. 
We realize that he, the way he feels about us. We hear someone say, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And suddenly, it doesn't sound like a fantasy fairy tale. But the soberest and most everyday truth. Is that true for you? If you've heard the promises of God to you, the truths of God to you this morning, the word of God to you, has it become as real to you as the chair you're sitting on? As real to you as that moment when I read the story of Natalie and John adopting their children that you were stirred by? Are real to you so that you are more convinced of that? above anything else that might be true for you. It's been co confronting in this season, hasn't it? It's, as I said, we've, we've had more limits placed on us, but we've had loss as well, things taken away, and when there's loss, there's grief. It's kind of like the, the floor's been taken from underneath us, and I'm not sure about you, that's what it feels like, and I feel like I've been kind of falling. All, all the things that should be in place that I normally find some anchor point in aren't there. My, my role uh, with Katoomba Christian Convention has completely changed. And for me, it, initially not in a good way. I'm an extrovert, so I'm used to being out there engaging with people. No, that's shut down. This is a season of living as an introvert, sitting behind a computer, working out how to engage with people. That wasn't comfortable. That thing that I found security in being known and engaging and having the a talents and experience to to engage with people and for them to respond. That that's who I was, taken away. Uh, late in May, my eldest daughter Sienna was diagnosed with MS. Uh, she started to rapidly become debilitated. Ended up in a wheelchair. Wow, that's the floor taken out from under you as a father. Even the great network I have of, of people who I know in the medical profession, didn't matter how many people I knew, only needed one. And it didn't come through my network. I couldn't do anything to halt the progress of what was happening in her body. The anchor point of a father providing, gone. To relieve you of that little anxiety you've got about my daughter, she's actually going really well. <laughs> Responded to treatment and improving rapidly. What about for you? What, what have you felt as you've had limits on you, things taken away, which are your normal kind of anchor points? What's, what's the narrative that's replaced what was true for you God willing by the power of his spirit it's the fact and truth that you're a child of God no matter what happens what's taken away what enters your life that will always be true it'll always be the most nourishing and thriving thing in your life It'll always have enough resources. He'll always be there that you can turn to. 
even though we don't do it enough and when we should, he'll still be there. You're his child. In this season, it's been an opportunity, I think, to be quiet, to have some things taken away and to know who we are. God wants us to understand ourselves as being adopted. It's the primary way we think about ourselves. It shapes our worship, our prayer, our on-earthness. Jaya Packer in his uh, chapter on adoption talks about how can we get this in not only into our head but into our heart so that it affects our feet or our actions. He says you can say these six things and I'm going to get you to say these things mostly as an assurance that you're still awake. That was meant to be a joke. But I am 50 and I'm finding those are tapering off in terms of the level of humour. Maybe they were never there. But he says you can say these six things. Firstly, I'm a child of God. Then God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day closer. My saviour is my brother. Every believer is my brother or sister as well. Can you repeat these after me? I'm a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day closer. My saviour is my brother. Every believer is my brother as well. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Let's take a few moments to be quiet before God. Can we do that? You might want to close your eyes. You speak to God. You speak to God on your own behalf.